Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the only podcast that did not get a modified no movement clause by an NHL GM today. It is time to do a little stargazing, and, and frankly, we're not going to muck about with the introductions. We're going to dive right in. I've got Mark. I've got Tyler. We're, we're going to earn that explicit rating today because our beloved Dallas Stars, they, they were a little bit busy. And, um, you know, before I throw it to the crew, we're just going to summarize it at the time that uh, at the time that we we're recording Dallas has made a total of five deals of those five, really three matter the signing of, of Ryan Suter, Braden Holtby and Luke Glendening, of course, the, the straw that serves the drink. They, there are a couple of depth signings as well, which we will cover, but those are the big three. Uh, just want to get that firmly stated as we, we launch into the podcast, because we're going to talk about the defense. We're going to talk about the goaltending. We're going to talk about the forwards. We're going to talk about the cap. We're going to talk about on the ice, long-term, short-term, the whole kit and caboodle. We're going to talk everything. We're going to talk especially about Luke Glendening. There's about a 45-minute segment specific to Luke Glendening at the end of the podcast, so definitely stick around and listen. But hey, Mark, Tyler, how you guys doing? What the f***? <laughs> right out of the gate. <laughs> Wasn't that fun? <laughs> I mean, we got we 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 were going to get there eventually, so I'm glad I'm glad we started strong. Tyler, Tyler, what do you think? Do you, do you concur, rebut? What's your what's your perspective? Uh yeah. Uh not not thrilled. Not thrilled. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been a day, and, and I think you know, talking from the pre-show, and we're gonna we're gonna get into it. We're gonna get into all of it. I'm, I'm cracking my knuckles right now. I think I probably am a little. I think I don't think anybody's really truly happy. That's a general vague philosophical question. It's a little bit depressing, but even in the context of the Dallas Stars today, I don't know that we're all thrilled. I'm probably a little bit closer to happy on the spectrum than you guys are, but we're gonna get there. But um, you know, we're we're gonna be real careful. We're going to get through everything. I'm going to try and direct traffic a little bit. We are going to start, gentlemen, we're going to start talking. Uh, we're going to start with the goaltending because as of, you know, with, with the conclusion of today's signings, of course, they signed uh, Braden Holtby, $2 million, one year joins the the Dallas crease, um, really gives Dallas three NHL level um, goaltenders, sorry, four NHL level goaltenders in Jake Ottinger, Ben Bishop, Anton Hudobin, and now... Um, Braden Holtby. So we're going to have a four-way battle for the crease uh, heading into next season, right, Tyler? Uh... <laughs> so, so far we have what the f*** and a groan, and I think that's just the perfect way to start start this podcast um yeah we'll just we'll just get thoughts we're gonna we're gonna ask the same old question so first first take gut reaction you know summer summary reaction to to the signing tyler if, if you want to stick with guh you can do that if you'd like to elaborate just a little bit but what's your what's your take on the holby signing it was it basically started with uh wtf what are they doing oh god oh god i i just to me, there's just so many things wrong with the signing, from my opinion, that it was signing a goalie, or at least one of the, uh, I guess, bigger names on the market, wasn't even on my radar. So it was just the upright shock that it was happening. And then it was kind of the, like, oh, God, what have they done? Oh just God, fall out from there. All right. So, so Mark, do you, do you want to co-sign? Oh God, what have they done? Or do you have a, do you, do you have a slightly different take? 
Well, I mean, I, I've been tossing around various theories on goaltending here for the last month or two. And my take before this was always that they needed to bring in some kind of, you know, Mike McKenna type who could be a available as a third goaltender uh, up from Texas. Um, hope he's perhaps a little bit of an overpay for that, but it's a weakness. We needed to get another goalie in. The implications of what this means for Jake Ottinger and his time in the NHL is what's really concerning to me. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I don't, we're gonna. This is gonna get familiar as we go through this podcast, and I like the way that you phrase that because we're gonna start. We're just gonna hit, hit. We're gonna pretend for the moment that the contract doesn't exist. We're just gonna talk about the player on the ice, and we're gonna do that as we go through all the deals because I think it is important to assess you know, the on ice problem the Dallas Stars are trying to solve and then assess the means by which they solve that problem, right? So I think you hit on it, right? And and for as, as positive a season as last year was in the terms of Jake Ottinger's performance, you know, the the dirty kind of open secret of the offseason, going, going back to when he shut it down last year, when he waived his no movement pause clause for the purpose of the expansion draft, you know, the continued news that drips and drabs and, and drizzles out, it, it really doesn't look like Ben Bishop is going to be a factor this season, or at the very least, not at the start of the season. So, okay, you're looking at the Dallas Stars Cree situation. We mentioned at the top of this segment, there were four names on that list, right? Bishop Hudobin, uh, Ottinger, Holtby. Well, really, this move doesn't get made if Dallas isn't crossing at least one of the other names off the list, right? They, they don't need Holtby if Bishop is in fact expected to be back because then you have Bishop Hudobin, Ottinger, right? You've got your two NHL guys in a backup plan. So to me, this deal says there is, you know, something, something else continues to go on with, with Ben Bishop and the Dallas stars as an organization are not anticipating him to be part of the plan this year. Tyler, do you think that's, that's fair just as a starting point? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, Nell in his press conference was talking about like, oh, we, it's too muddy to tell for certain, you know, our plan and hope is that Bishop's going to be back uh, during the season um, once he gets healthy. But to me, this is just not the type of plan, not the type of move you make if you think that Bishop might be back. Because, I mean, just think back to last offseason when, I mean, Hudobin was coming off the Stanley uh, Cup run and Jake Ottinger was just a rookie and they basically were like, okay, we expect Bishop to be coming back. We're fine with these two. Um, and so maybe because Hudobin kind of had a much worse season um, afterwards, but Ottinger was really surprising. It's like, it's hard to see in there where you decide, oh, we'll bring in another goalie. And then when Bishop comes back, we'll have a further log jam. So, I mean, to me, it basically says maybe Bishop comes back but the stars have absolutely no expectations for him too. Yeah. And, and I, and I think you hit on it perfectly, right? Think about the way that the language around Ben Bishop has changed, right? Go back to the bubble playoff and Ben Bishop was expected to be a factor. They brought him back against Colorado. We talked about it at the time they brought him back against Colorado, against Colorado up a couple games because that was sort of the moment where they could assess, is this guy part of the plan? Well, that game didn't go great. They immediately followed up with, hey, you know what? We're going to shut him down the rest of this season so we can get his focus on next season. Well, all of a sudden that that rolled into the winter and it turned into, you know, shutting him down at the deadline. Again, initially it was we'll get him healed in the offseason ready for training camp. Now we're approaching training camp and you're hearing they'll say things like we just don't know. 
right? At, at some point this season. So you can just see the progression of language around Ben Bishop moving in a way that doesn't imply that he's going to give him much, which is, is a shame. But um, so, so kind of domino number one is it doesn't look like Bishop's going to be a factor. And then Tyler, you mentioned um, Hudobin's performance this past season, right? Okay. Heading into last season, the expectation was, well, Hudobin had this great playoff run. Ottinger is a highly regarded prospect. Those two can can carry the load while we figure out what's going on with Ben Bishop. And, and Mark, I'm going to pivot to you and you know, give me you know scale of one to Brendan Morrow ten. Where is your confidence on Hudobin as a you know one A or one B tier option in the NHL this coming season? Well, I think he's a solid one B. I mean, there there are enough question marks out there where you can say he was coming off of a fairly uh, tough bout with COVID. Um, the pressure of kind of being the 1A that he really hadn't faced before. Uh, so, you know, he could very easily bounce back. Um, so, but I would say that ultimately what you had was Hudobin underperformed what people were hoping was going to happen last year. And, and then on the other hand, Ottinger overperformed what we were expecting him to do. And and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to make you squirm a little bit. So you mentioned, you know, Hudobin bouncing back. He's, he's a 35 year old goaltender that has, has been, you know, inconsistent over the course of his career and that has manifested recently in being a very good one B option for a team. Is it really fair to look at um, last season and say, yeah, you kind of hand wave it and say, no, no, this guy's going to be fine. Well, I think you just leave it out there as a question mark. And this is why bringing in somebody like Holtby may make sense. Because what you have now with Holtby is him coming off of this absolute, you know, tire fire in Vancouver where they have absolutely no defense. And uh, and he is, uh, you know, not on his game. And so there are goals going in all over the place. And so there's a, another question with Holtby that ha- says, what happens when you put this guy uh, with a real defense in front of him and with actual NHL players and everything. <laughs> right. And, and so perhaps, perhaps Holtby isn't as washed up as, as the, you know, the, the hoi polloi out there say he is. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that is, and, and you know, Tyler, I'll give you an to, a chance to, to chime in here as well. Cause what I'm trying to frame is, okay, now you've reached a point where we, we started with four names. We've, pretty definitively crossed one name off the list. One name at least has that that kind of squiggly circle and pencil is, is Hudobin really going to bounce back. So you're starting to see the case for wanting to have other options. And, you know, the, the, the I'll, I'll pause there before getting into kind of the final aspect of this is, you know, take the names out of it for just a second, Tyler. Do you agree with kind of where Mark and I are both leaning in that if you just look at the situation, Dallas needed to do something in the crease, given everything that's going on? Yeah, and I think uh, Mark uh, called back to it earlier, and maybe it was in the, uh, I think it might have been in the uh, precast, but what I was kind of expecting Dallas to do was bring on a a good, like, a veteran option that could basically serve as your AHL to NHL kind of bubble area, like a Mike McKenna type. I mean, that's the move I kind of expected them to go after. Um, my, my issue isn't so much that, they decided, hey, we have all this uncertainty in our goaling uh, pipeline. We need to add someone to try and, you know, just cover all our bases. It's really just the specific player that they chose to uh, to try and accomplish that. Yeah, 
I th- and I think that's that's where you hit it on the head. And the last thing I'll say, just as a little sidebar, is for for those of you following along, listening along, and saying, yeah, you start with four names, you've crossed two off, but one of them is Jake Andre, and he was great last year. What's the problem? The one, the the two words I'll give you there is Carter Hart. Right, goaltending is voodoo. It's it's strange. Yes, there is broad consistency, but it is not unheard of for players in general to experience kind of wild fluctuations in their play. It's not unusual for young players to have that happen. I mean, you know, look at look at the Marc-Andre Fleury, right? Pittsburgh could not get rid of him quickly enough. And then all of a sudden he was back to elite again for random stretches with um, with the Knights, right? So, so goaltending is not necessarily a spot where you can look at one season and assume performance into the next, especially with young players. So you know, I, I do think the thesis is sound and that Dallas needed another piece because as we learned, right, what happens in what happens last season, if Ottinger doesn't step up, the team is well and truly in Fuego, right? It's 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 terrible news. So then getting into the player himself, yeah, you've got a guy the, the Dallas Stars seem to be betting awfully big that in in Braden Holt, you have a player who has not been great for what is it, about two seasons now, right? Something like that. It's not like it's not like Holtby was lights out, then hit a rough six month patch and, you know, could likely, you know, could likely recover. This is a player who has not been an elite netminder for a little while. So I, I do think you're right in that you can you can look at it and say, you know, they probably needed to do something. But did they do the right thing? And you get into the the apparent organizational fetishization of veterans and and steady hands and experience and all of that. So it's it's definitely it's a, a bit of a head scratcher, I would say. And so anything else, and we're, we're going to talk about the contract next. Anything else you guys want to talk to uh, in terms of of on the ice, right? Because I think the thesis for the Dallas Stars is that in Holtby you do have a player with some level of pedigree. Um, and hopefully you have a player that hasn't dealt with, you know, catastrophic injuries or things that would necessarily explain a, a you know, a complete loss of form and function in the in the crease. And so I think that the the on ice bet is that if you get this guy out of and it's not like the Washington Capitals he played behind were a lock it down system either. But, you know, the bet is you get a an experienced professional goaltender, put him behind a you know, solid, not just the defense defense, but a solid team wide defensive structure. And he probably gives you enough to be competitive on any given night. Um, you know, I think that's, that's the gamble they're making that, that Holtby can be that guy on the ice, at least And any, any further comments there? Well, and he is 31 years of age. So it, it's not like he's at a point where he's definitely on the downside of a, of an aging curve for a goaltender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, to your earlier point about Hudobin, it's not an it is not an insane thesis to think, and I'm not saying he's gonna, you know, vault and, and be in a in a Vesna conversation, but it's not insane to look at at Braden Holtby and say, you know what? If you put it behind a better system, you've probably got an initial goaltender on your hands. Oh uh, yeah, and we'll see. We'll see. And so then the, then I want to pivot. And, you know, we've talked a lot about on the ice, but but this is a cap league and this is a, a cap team. And so there, there are more implications. Let's talk a little bit about the deal itself. So Holtby's going to get $2 million, um, $2 million for one year. And, you know, given everything we've talked about and, and we'll start, um, we'll, we'll give you a chance to chime in, Tyler. Now that we factor the contract in, what what is how does that change, if at all, your perception of this move? It really, it really, um, okay, as far as, 
it's a cheap deal. I mean, the, the, the benefit you could see for Dallas coming in when you make this is, you know, who knows, especially how you know, sparse the goalie market was, like who was even going to be there that would sign one year and only for $2 million. Um, You know, maybe it was the fact of, hey, like as far as trying to look at long-term, you know, Holtby is our, you know, one who fits the bill. You know, it it, it just like as far as like saying, oh, we're paying um, – one year, $2 million for goalie insurance. That doesn't bite me so much. It's just the fact that, like I said, to kind of carry on with what you guys were saying earlier, it's like, it's not even that he was bad the past two years. It's, he's pretty much, he's been pretty rough for the past four, if you really break down the stats. And it's kind of like, to me, yes, it's a cheap deal. But then if you look in comparison of Jake Ottinger, who's likely to get bumped to the AHL, and that he's still on his ELC, that saves you roughly a million in cap space, which, you know, that doesn't seem that much, but you could put that to another Ford. Maybe that's the difference between, you know, re-signing Alexiak versus going after Suter. I mean, that type of thing. So it's like, it's a cheap deal. It might've been the only real one-year stopgap option that the Stars had out there. It's just, I'm not sure for me that that really, you know, changes my perspective on things. And how about how about you, Mark? Does it does it change your perspective at all? And then the side question I also want to ask, I want to jump right on top of something Tyler said. Does it change your perspective? And do or, or do you feel like the Holtby deal, the particulars of the contract, now put him in a position where there's a a roadblock between Jake Ottinger and time in the NHL? Um, I, I think so, and uh, and more specific, I, I think it does put a block on him because they aren't going to want to move two million dollars down to the AHL. It's still going to hit hit on their cap if they do that. Um, not the full amount, but still some. And uh, so I think that uh, unless there's an injury, an additional injury, that we're probably looking at having Jake Ottinger down uh, at Cedar Park for the next year. Interesting. And I don't ne- I don't necessarily like it. But uh, I have some theories on uh, what that team in Cedar Park is going to look like uh, that, that I think it may tie into. So, uh, so let's, I'm willing let's to roll. wait and see. <laughs> What's, do you have, let's, unless you're, are you, are you teasing an article for the site or do you want to get into it a little bit? I, I'll get into it a little bit. I, I, I have, you know, Jim Neal's version of, of a closing window and what you do to react to that is slightly different than mine. And and his view seems to be much more related to throwing uh, trusted veterans at things. And in this case, Holtby is a trusted veteran. Uh, it's a one-year deal, which kind of matches up with the time frame for having the key members of the team being trusted veterans. Um, this whole trend says that we're going to be a pretty old team in the NHL this year, which also means we're going to be an extremely good team in Cedar Park. And having Ottinger be part of what I think is going to happen with that team in Cedar Park and the amount of offense that they're going to be able to throw at things and the solid defense that they're going to have, especially with a new defensive coach there, uh, that team has a real good shot of making a solid Calder Cup run. And so I, I think you may start seeing a little separation between what's going on at the NHL level for this year and what's going on with the with the Texas Stars. So that's a, that's interesting. It, that actually kind of pushes nicely into I'm 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 in the crowd that doesn't necessarily hate this because and Tyler definitely going to let you 
chime in here as well in just a second. No, have no fear. But you know, I'm in the ca the camp that doesn't necessarily hate this because I, I I kind of find myself going back to the Corey Perry deal and just just from the perspective of yeah, two million isn't isn't it's more than I would have liked for the goalie insurance, but at the same time. Two million on a one-year deal is a contract that an organization like the Dallas Stars can afford to turf if they need to, and so my my perspective in this is everything is lining up so that the Dallas Stars very clearly want Jake Ottinger to be a starting goaltender next season. They want him carrying a workload. They want him being, you know, the guy that's sort of responsible for his team's his team's fortunes. Mm -hmm. I think what I read into this deal is that as an organization. Dallas doesn't necessarily mind if Holtby is that guy at the NHL level or the AHL level. They're lining things up so that, you know, Nil made a comment today in a presser about, you know, his perspective on the deal is that he wants, he wants Jake Ottinger coming into training camp competing to win the number one spot. And I take Nil at his word and think that that, that pathway is there. If Jake Ottinger comes in and wins the Golden, and he's going to be the Dallas Stars' number one keeper. They're not going to look at a $2 million one-year deal for Braden Holtby and say, yeah, you know, Ottinger shut everything down during camp, but we're going to go with the vet. Like, I, I think what Dallas wants is for Ottinger to be the man and what the Holtby deal does is give them, you know, if Ottinger, if, and, and, you know, mileage varies, they've got to make the, the right evaluation. But I think what the Holtby deal does is if you get into training camp and if you get into the preseason and Ottinger looks like he needs a little bit more time, if he, if he doesn't look like he's ready, you know, the difference between being the understudy that excels and that everybody's looking at with, Hey, you're going to get it this season, right? Like if he can't, if he wobbles a little bit, I think that they would rather send him to Cedar Park and have him start, as Mark mentions, start a lot of games on what looks like it's going to be quite a good AHL team. I think they'd rather him play 60 games there than have him play 30 games in the NHL. But at the same time, if he's good enough to play 60 games in the NHL this coming season, then there's nothing... And this is all under the assumption, of course, that Bishop goes on LTIR, right? But there, there's nothing practically preventing the Dallas stars from eating $2 million and letting Ottinger have the crease, right? They're not, they don't necessarily have to force it. So from, from that perspective, for me, I, I don't know that Holtby is the guy that I would pick, but there are worse bets out there. I don't know that 2 million is, is a fantastic number as a stars fan, but at the same time, it's, it's not a, it's not a cap killer. And so I think that I can hold my nose on this one and you know, kind of bake in some assumptions that, okay, Bishop is probably done. I, I don't think the organization would say no if somebody came asking about Hudobin, especially, you know, with, with the way that goaltending, the goaltending shuffle has settled out and how many teams need options. I, I don't know that I'd hate a, a Holtby Ottinger crease next season if that's what we wound up in. And I think that there's, there is a flexibility argument here that makes this, you know, for me, it's more of like a B minus in terms of my level of enthusiasm. I don't hate it. I don't love it. But, um, you know, we're still kind of where we were a month ago, which is Dallas' season is really riding on the ability of Anton Hudobin and Jake Ottinger in some combination, whether it's 100% one of them or 0% the other, right, in some combination of being an NHL quality, you know, net minder. Uh, any, any thoughts from your side, Tyler, before we pivot into the defense? All right, you're you're a lot more optimistic than I am. Off <laughs> so, what you're having, uh, to me, it's like I, I mean, I kind of sign more Mark here. Where, you know, I, 
take away the just from a macro level, not even just the stars, not just goaltending, but like just NHL fans as a whole, and especially when it comes to free agency. And I always feel like when whenever someone signs a really like cheap, like one year deal or something like that, whether that's a Holtby or Perry or anyone else, I feel the initial reaction is kind of always, you know, oh, if they don't work out or if this younger guy like outplays them or is doing really good, well, they'll just, you know, go ahead and scratch the, the veteran or stash him down. You know, that's not a big investment. Um, they won't have a problem doing that. You know, that kind of always seems to be the fan sentiment or idea. But then how many times do we actually see that happen yeah. in practice? It's like, fair. It's, you never really see it. And so for me, especially then putting on lens through the Dallas Stars and where this is a team that, you know, traditionally Nils always had that, you know, let prospects marinate in the AHL. He's at numerous times when it comes to like the forwards and defensemen, he's, you know, signed, um, you know, some veteran players when maybe there was someone younger who could have gotten that crack. Um, you see players of like Robertson, Guryanov, and Hintz who, Hintz, who had a strong rookie seasons. They typically, you know, got that playing time because of injuries or underperformance. I mean, so to me, it just kind of feels like this is a, you know, a classic stars move where they say, you know, we don't feel too confident at where we're at with Fudobin and Ottinger. Whoa, whoa, so they, they like go. where they're at. Oh, Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're just, so we're just going to go with a, we're just going to go with a veteran and, you know, Andrew will just stay in the AHL a bit and, you know, when it's his time, he will come. And it just doesn't feel like to me, like maybe if, you know, Holtby and Hudobin both fall on their flat on their faces and Andrew excels and, Maybe we see that, but otherwise, I think we're looking at Hudobin and Holtby as just in the NHL pretty much the whole time, barring injury. And if one struggles, they're just going to play the other one more. Uh, so I, I don't think that you're you're not what is it? You're you're out of line, but you're not wrong. I, I think that your your read on the the history of the Dallas Stars is the correct one, right? And my my entire bright side argument depends on the organization making a rational choice and playing the guy that earns the. The, the crease, right? So there, there is a an inherent flaw. The the one thing that I would say to counter is, it is it is a little bit harder to get away with the bullshit they tried with Gurionov and hence when you're talking about a goaltender, right? You can you can make more internal excuses around, you know, ice time distribution and role in the lineup and and all of that stuff when you're trying to teach a forward to play the air quotes right way. It's a little bit harder to do that. You know, goaltending tends to have the 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 results, good and bad, tend to be much more in your face. So I think there's a little bit more insulation against kind of organizational stupidity because the guys are the guy in the crease is either going to stop the puck or he's not. And to some degree, that insulates Ottinger against factors other than quality of play keeping him in or out of the crease. I was going to strongly disagree with you Wes and and strongly agree with Tyler and just tell Tyler that he needs to come to accept that that is in fact what's going to happen we're going <laughs> to ride the two veterans Ottinger's going to be in the AHL, AHL and just accept that that's what this team does and that's the way it's going to be and we might as well root for it to succeed because nothing's going to change that unless somebody gets injured yeah and I do I, I do get your point, Wes, where it is, especially because you talk about goaltending is voodoo and, you know, NHL head coaches typically don't 
understand goaltending. They just defer to their uh, goaltending coach and say, hey, who do we play tonight or what's your take on the situation? So, I mean, so there is that element there. It's just also a fact of like, all right, if the idea is that he's got to win the job in training camp versus or in the preseason, then are you really going to see are they really going to see that much or enough to then suddenly say, oh, yeah, Ottinger's good for the NHL instead of this guy we just paid two million for, you know, and then once you get him playing in the AHL instead, then it's like, uh, oh, well, he's a young goaltender, you know, goaltender's a voodoo, even he's playing well. I mean, what happens if he comes up to the NHL level? It's like, I do agree that it is not as, there's a lot less room for them to like, you know, stunt someone's growth as opposed to um, going off or say like, oh, make excuses. But especially when it's coming to the fact that there's only, you know, one goaltender who plays on a given night and all the other factors at play, like I can definitely see the stars finagling some excuses as to, you know, oh, he's doing so well in the HL. We'll just let him keep doing his thing. We don't want to mess things up. Like you can really get on it. Maybe, maybe that's just a pessimistic versus a, no, I mean, a slightly bit more optimistic outlook. I think I mean, that's exactly what we've framed the best case and the worst case. Right. And I think that's that those are both fair points and, and, you know, we're, we're going to have to see to a certain degree how they handle it. I think the, the only other thing that I'd mentioned that's potentially in play is Holtby to some extent makes Hudobin expendable. And if you do get a rebound from Anton Hudobin at some point over the season, or even potential, like if, it, you know, if Marc-Andre Fleury follows through and decides to retire and you're Chicago and all of a sudden you've invested extremely heavily in other parts of the lineup and you need a goaltender if you're Buffalo and you've got nothing literally, right? I think that there's, there is a chance here that the play is, you know, having Holtby in-house gives Dallas the ability to deal a goaltender. And, you know, we've seen, what, two trades this week where teams took on, you know, cap hits for nothing, effectively kind of weaponized their um, weaponized their their salary cap. So, like, there are scenarios now that are able that help the Dallas Stars manage their cap that weren't on the table when Huben and Ottinger were the only two NHL ready names. So the, the la- that's the last little thing that I'll throw into this this particular simmering take is that um, you know there there is a world in which that there there is a a positive outcome world in which we still wind up with Jake Ottinger as the NHL starter, and then plus right the cap space of Bishop on LTIR and the cap space of Anton Hudobin flips somewhere else for assets with a cheaper backup option and Holtby still on the roster. Every little bit helps. <laughs> they go, they, <laughs> I've, the I've never go seen Jim Neal do that. I know. I mean, and it, yeah, but you know, you go from having 10 million plus tied up in your goaltenders to having under 3 million or under 4 million tied up in your goaltenders. There, there is a world in which that happens and it it might need to, because, uh, you know, we're going to now transition and talk about the, the other really big news, um, that Dallas stars made today is they, they won the Ryan Suter sweepstakes, the deal is of the. We'll just get it out of the way. The deal is of the four-year persuasion at, um, I believe it was 3.6 million, maybe 3.65. Um, you know, I'm sure the the internet will fact check me for being wrong. But um, and then of course the the dreaded NMC no movement clause um, tacked on to that. So we're gonna go through the same emotional exercise, try and reach acceptance. Um, we we got a gut out of Tyler for the last one, Mark. We're gonna start with you. The the Ryan Suter deal. What's what what are you thinking right now? 
Well, I, I accepted that it's not Pius Suter, that it is Ryan Suter. So that, that's that's an he advantage. Went to Detroit on an imminently, imminently very com- doable contract. contract. Just. But I, I mean, beyond that, uh, again, I've kind of come to accept it, but I don't really know what the team's trying to do with their defense because last year we had Alexiak and and Haskinen set up as the the de facto shutdown pair, and. I've seen enough of Ryan Suter to know that he probably isn't a member of a shutdown pair. And so the question that I have is what happens with the top four? And is this an opportunity if we are going to keep Haskinen playing as, as more of a shutdown player, which, uh, which is seems to me fairly likely, is this maybe an opportunity to start pairing him with Essa Lindell? And what does a pairing of John Klingberg and Ryan Suter look like? Um, I, I think there's also some impact here related to uh, related to what goes on on the power play. Uh, Suter's a power play guy, and uh, and you know does he take Haskinen's place there? Um, and does Haskinen perhaps take uh, take just a spot on the penalty kill, and we don't kill him with all the minutes at that point? So usage is going to make a big difference here. It is. Yeah, it's it's going to be, I mean, there are many things that are going to make a difference here. <laughs> yep. uh, Tyler, Tyler, we'll start. What, what's your kind of opening salvo on, on all things Ryan Suter? Yeah, I mean, it was just, I, at least unlike Opie, I mean, it was a long time coming, coming as soon as he was bought out, people were kind of linking to, and then maybe Dallas is a destination, you know, once Alexiak got picked in the uh, expansion draft, then it was like, all right, this definitely makes sense. And then all the reports of, you know, what the length would be in the AAV. So I pretty much moved on to acceptance stage before, uh, before it was even officially announced. Um, you know, I, I do agree with like what Mark's saying. It is very, it's an interesting choice. It feels like, oh, we, you know, we need, we lost this, um, person in Alexiak and you know we're just going to find a defenseman that can be a top four guy and kind of just plug him in there I mean I know as you're kind of echoing and it's something I think uh, Saad Yusuf of the Athletic also talked about in one of his articles that you know they could go with a you know like a Ryan Suter John Klingberg pairing and go a bit more you know here's your offensive pairing and then pair Lindell and Haskinen and say this is your defensive pairing you know, or maybe they're thinking more so along the lines of, okay, we'll we'll keep the balance between Lindell and um, Klingberg, and then we'll also try and do that with Suter and Haskinen, with the difference being, you know, before um, it was Alexiak, you're the defensive guy, and Haskinen, we're looking at you to be the puck carrier and be the offensive um, presence, and then now you're saying, okay, Suter, you're more, you're an offensive guy. You know, you take that lead role, and Haskinen, what we're asking you to do is to be the um, no one's getting past me and keep it out of our net. So it's, it is an interesting choice, I guess I could say. I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. And I kind of, it kind of comes down to you have to break down all the different aspects of the deal, like, you know, the player versus, you know, the contract and whatnot. Yeah, that's we're kind of playing that game. And yeah, I think, you know, starting with the player, like I I don't know. 
you know, because the the other thing that that concerns me is just this. It it feels sometimes like almost in this. This is gonna. I'm parsing words carefully. It, it feels like there's this organizational acceptance that Miro is so very good that rather than catering to his strengths and seeing how good the, the Dallas organization is much more focused on using him. Like they, they take advantage of his goodness. Right. And, and you know, with, with Jamie Alexiak, it was Miro fell back a little bit in the offense because while Alexiak had sort of the physical profile of a shutdown guy, the way he actually played was a little bit more of a puck mover and, and sort of Dallas in that pairing inadvertently created a situation where Miro did different things. Right. Versus looking at it and saying, no, we want Miro in, in this role. Right. You, you mentioned Suter, you know, probably expecting or anticipating some role on the power play. Well, then all of a sudden you've got Klingberg, Miro Haskinen, and Ryan Suter vying for slots on, you know, the, the Dallas Stars power play. And is that necessarily like, again, you probably don't and this isn't even just a Dallas use veterans argument. This is, I think any NHL team would do the same. You, you probably don't bring in Ryan Suter for four years at almost $4 million just to put him third in the pecking order. Right. So it, it just seems, it seems like once again, they've, you know, the, the situation was they, they did need a four, a number four defenseman. Right. And I think in a vacuum, you can look at Ryan Suter and say, hey, if he's your number four defenseman, you're probably in pretty good shape as a defensive unit. But then you get into fit and you get into what the Lions look like and do you, you know, they seem like it, it almost seems unfathomable that the Dallas Stars would move away from the Klingberg Lindell pairing, which, okay, then Heiskanen and Suter, which means Heiskanen stays on his offhand and how does it, all the all the questions start bubbling up. So there's to me, there's some some real fit issues that I'm I'm gonna have to see them work their way through. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, one of the advantages is that you know with with Suter, Suter, Suter's been around a long time. He he knows how to adjust his game. Haskinen has great hockey IQ. He can adjust his game. So I I think they'll come to some kind of uh, chemistry between between whoever ends up paired together. But uh, again, I think it comes back to your point is what maximizes the potential of every player. Yeah, yeah and I think with Heiskanen, sometimes the attitude isn't how do we maximize Heiskanen? It's how do we use Heiskanen to maximize somebody else? Right, or here's a hole we have to plug, Miro can take it. Yeah, because he can do anything. Right. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that that's the really kind of prevailing argument here is, you know, do we, we have the special elite talent do we try and maximize that and, or do we, you know, use that elite talent to try and bring other people up? And, you know, there's different schools of thoughts. I mean, I would say, look at the situation like, you know, Kale McCarr in Colorado who just was second place in Norris Trophy. And that's a situation where they definitely say, hey, we have an offensive gifted uh, defenseman. Let's put him in the best possible position to succeed as that type of defenseman. Obviously, Miro is a different type of player, but it's like, Dallas seems to be going with this different mindset where it's kind of, okay, well, Miro can carry a pair if need be, or Miro can make adjustments. He can play on his offside. He can, you know, make these concessions to try and make things work. And, and then, and then also it's like, I don't want to get into this part because I think that's a whole other podcast altogether, but 
I kind of also do have to wonder when you consider that, you know, shooter, four years, offensive gifted person, is Dallas maybe preparing, especially after seeing that Seth Jones contract and knowing what Doogie Hamilton was probably going to get? I mean, is Dallas maybe thinking we're probably not going to be able to keep John Klingberg beyond the season and therefore we're going for the offensively, not even though it's a bit messy for this season, it's like, okay, afterwards, now you're back to having Miro and one other guy as your kind of power play offensive drivers. I mean, so maybe, maybe that's the angle they're going for. And they're saying, Hey, this season, we just got to make it work. And afterwards they'll kind of clear up. See that, that to me though, that's, that's one of the areas where I actually think this, this breaks favorably to the Dallas stars in 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 terms of John Klingberg and this is where you look at you know it would have taken 4.6 million they they basically they saved a million bucks moving from Jamie Alexiak to Ryan Suter and I have to believe that agreeing to four years was part of that and when you look at the Dallas Stars cap situation what's coming off the books when you look at nine million dollars you know the, the deals that you know Kale McCarr and Dougie Hamilton and um, um, Seth Jones, right? Those are all the nine million dollar ballpark. So, look, just taking the contract for a second, Dallas has now saved one million dollars off of you know their cap commitments um, overall. And then referring back to what we talked about with the goaltending, they've saved a million bucks off of off of you know going from Alexiak to Suter. They've also given themselves an avenue via picking up Holtby, who's expired next year. And and you know the assumption that Bishop goes in LTR, they they've saved, you know, potentially five to seven million dollars in the crease. If you imagine a world in which Hudobin and Ben Bishop are no longer, you know, kind of cap cap factors to some degree, even if they have to eat some money to move Hudobin somewhere else, right? Pay for it. So from a a Klingberg perspective, from a contract perspective, I actually found that especially looking at what got thrown elsewhere, I thought I found the suitor deal actually made a fair amount of sense. Um, you know, Dallas has has now plugged a hole. They, they've now signed a he is a viable number four defenseman in the NHL right now. Ryan Suter is um, he's not necessarily you, you can you can argue about how good of a number four option, but he's he's he is in that he, he will match up with the role that's expected of him. And yes, Dallas probably gave him too much in the way of term. And I, I don't love the trade protections, right? That's that's a little bit scummy. But when when you look at what the market was doing with other players, I think some of those things were table stakes. And I, I do feel that the way that Dallas got this done gives them, even if it's just an extra million bucks, right? That could be significant in an attempt to bring Klingberg back into the lineup. And just to be honest, like a part of me thinks that, you know what, if if you wind up in a situation where you're able to to scrape the space to get Klingberg um to get Klingberg re-signed, then I think that if you're the Dallas Stars, you, you worry about, you know, the year after next, right? You worry about fitting Heisken and Klingberg and Suter into the lineup, and that's a, a that's a good problem to have. Well, and I think you need to go back to what we were talking about with uh, with closing windows and what the nature of the team's going to be moving forward after this year. And so I think by bringing Suter in, what you've done is brought in uh, what I would call the best veteran available, and uh, and he fits in the cap well. He's going to bring something that's going to allow this team to succeed this year while they're in this window. 
And then what happens with him after this year? There's so many things that are unknown. He's a veteran. We'll find a slot and it'll work. So I think this, the concentration here is strictly on this year. We did four years a term because it allowed it to work for this year. And you deal with the rest later. Yeah. And, and I think as well, if, if you can get if you can get two good years out of Ryan Suter, then, yeah, he has, he's got a no move. But like, hey, buddy, accept this trade or we're going to buy you out. You know, like there are there are ways, especially if the team, if it's a there, there are ways to compel players to waive that if it becomes a critical problem. And I do think that the savings, the savings of getting getting a top four piece for three point six is a huge, huge deal when you're looking at nine million dollar extensions going to the top of the market and thinking that, you know, if you're John Klingberg, right? It's it's in the eight range, right? I, I don't I think if I think if you're the Dallas Stars, you can make an argument that he doesn't get what Kale got and he doesn't get what, you know, he doesn't get that top of the market, you know, tippy tippy the top of the market deal without, you know, insulting the player. But I think, you know, you're you're north of seven at this point, even with term, right? You're probably starting to to, you know, mid seven to mid eight, right? With with significant term starts to feel like a pretty doable number for, you know, for a John Klingberg extension and getting out from under five years at almost 5 million of Jamie Alexiak makes that a little bit more probable, makes it a little bit more possible. Yeah. And I will add, I mean, it is, especially when you get to those later years, it's, it really doesn't look that good for Dallas, especially because it's a 35 plus year contract. Yep. So you, you don't get any, even if you were to buy them out, that cap hit doesn't change at all. You still take that same hit. Um, but if there's one thing that I'll, I'll defend this to the end, but if there's one thing Jim Nill has flourished at in his time here in Dallas is that he's always had the stars in a solid cap situation. While maybe there's, yes, there's some bad contracts or, Oh, I wish this person was for cheaper, but we've never seen in his tenure of, going on approaching a decade at this point, we haven't seen a situation where Dallas is coming into a massive cap crunch that all these different teams seem to go over every now and then, you know, he's not having to pull out uh, Tampa Bay wizardry to try and put a roster together or have to, you know, nuke everything like the Chicago Blackhawks or Arizona Coyotes have. He, so even if it's like, okay, if that just means he has to structure around this contract that doesn't look too great from three to four years, like for now, I mean, he's in a good position to be able to set things up and how that evolves with uh, Klingberg or other pieces, people, uh, RFAs who will need extensions the next year or two, like uh, Heinz or Robertson, um, you know, that's, you know, remains to be seen like how things shake off, but. Yeah. And, you know, you think by this, by that point as well, right. You've probably got, um, you know, by years three and four, right. The salary cap has probably started to, to at least nudge its way upwards, um, which is significant by year. Um, you know, he is the, the interesting, you know, you've got, by that point, you'll have not just LTR protection, but you'll have Bishop and Hudobin definitively off of the books by the time you get into year three of Ryan Suter's deal. So, you know, you'll, you'll also, and I'm skimming the cat fairly paid. So, you know, by that point, 
you know, you'll you'll have you know, Radulov and Pavelski will no longer be factors. You'll be under, you know, whatever Heinz and Gurionov get in the way of extensions, those will have kicked in, right? But you'll you'll lose Pavelski and Radulov. You'll pick up Heinz and Gurionov. You'll lose Hudobin and Bishop. You'll pick up whoever replaces. Like, it's not, it's not like this team has, to your point, right? it's not going to be a cap crunch. It's going to be a cap massage. They're going to have to figure something out. But the, the other benefit is by the time the suitor deal, like when that deal expires, you'll be able to look at the defense. And, you know, if Klingberg's still a part of it, you'll have effectively Miro Klingberg. And if he's made the team Harley, right, as far as the defense goes. So so you'll be able to really definitively move on with that group um, because Lindell and, and Suter expire the same season. So either you'll have you know, Haskinen and Klingberg and the flexibility to do whatever else you want with that group, or you'll have Haskinen and a ton of flexibility to do whatever else you want with that group, right? So it's, it's, it's one of those deals where, I, again, you can, you can nitpick at parts of it, but I, I think that there's a larger context. Like, yes, they gave him too much money and they gave him too much term, but watching the way the rest of the market evolved today, you don't get him without giving too much money and too much term. I mean, I, I guess, and I'll, I'll throw this question to, to you, Mark, because I, I think you're about to chip in. Like, I, I guess for me, I don't see what other options really existed to fill out the top four. Well, I, I think there were multiple, but I think Suter probably fit Mill's vision of what he likes to bring in as far as a, a veteran. And so as, as much as I might uh, complain a little bit about who, who came in, and I think there were some other people in similar type ranges who could have come in for less term. They weren't the names. They weren't the trusted veterans that, uh, that necessarily Ryan Suter uh, brings with, with his game. And so, you know, he's, he's the guy. He's Nils' guy. And, and I think we just have to sit back and accept that. And at this point, take a look and see what uh, what Rick Bonus can do with it. Yeah, it's um, so. So you you did mention there were several. Let's let's just let's just speculate for a second. Like, what what do you think? You know, is is this the you know using the benefit of hindsight? And Tyler, same to you. Same question to both. Using the benefit of hindsight and knowing what we know has now happened. What would where what would the alternative have been? I mean, I, I threw several names out there. I, I did a couple of pieces on this. So, uh, you know, things changed on, on the fly. Uh, you know, I, I originally liked Larson. Um, that, that obviously uh, changed a little bit. Um, oh, I haven't even looked at, the, at who all got signed everywhere. Um, who was the guy who signed up in, uh, signed up in uh, Montreal today uh, from, uh, from Tampa? Yeah, Larson for Larson for four million. Yeah, seems um, like that would have been a nice fit too. Yeah, so I I'm not remembering off the top of my head all the various names that I've that I've thrown out there, but uh, you know there were there were options to go, and I think uh, they were they were somewhat of a pipe dream once Suter became available because I think uh, Suter fits Jim Nill's profile. Yeah, if if there ever was a Jim Nill free agent signing. Yeah. Savard, Savard, Savard is the is the one I was thinking about. Yeah, that that would have been. That's what I was thinking. I was I was trying to think of his name as well because that's the yeah, one. Yeah, David Savard got he got three point five 
with 3.5 cap hit. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's who I was kind of keeping my eye on. And it's like, so I was talking to my brother all throughout a free agency today. And it's, at one hand, it's like, especially when it came to defensemen, it's like, it's it was crazy expensive this year. And I don't know if that's because, oh, the expansion draft meant that you can only protect so many and then Seattle takes them up and there's a void, but not enough players to fill it. I'm not sure. But I, as far as when you're looking at the, like this free agency class, like it's not exactly the worst deal by any means. I mean, I'm much happier with Suter as opposed to like a, Cody Sessi or something like that and so it's just kind of like it, it was it's just kind of the difference of all right they very clearly saw the need to fill the top four um you know barring a Savard or something like that uh and just a different player their only real other option would have been to simply say okay you know what we're we are happy with our top three uh, with Lindell, Klingberg, and Haskinen, you know, let's kind of wait till the initial free agency cools down a bit, see who's remaining, maybe see, um, you know, possible trade options and stuff like that. I think that's where you would have had to go for is a much more patient approach and basically, you know, just trusting for this season that you have three very, um, at least in the Stars' opinion, three very solid guys to go forward on your defense and kind of let that fourth guy come to you when it does instead of the choice they did seek which was actively seeking for that top four guy and getting him right off the bat so you want to be left out to dry so to speak yeah i I think the other names that i just poking around here a little bit the other names that i would have taken a look at are mccabe and montour um and again i don't know that there's anything enough substantive there to to say that this would be you know either one of those guys would have been a superior pick to uh to to what we got with Suter. yeah i don't know i think we're gonna have to see because i i can see a world in which like he is moving to a very good defensive group right um klingberg and and haskinen and you know, the, the Lindell wars, I think, will be fought long after the earth is cooled and life has ceased to exist. So mileage varies. But, you know, I think there there is an argument to make in the in the short term, in the, in the next year term, that he's going to make this group better and he's got potential to make this group a lot better. And they got him at a number that I think simultaneously makes it easier for him to makes it easier for Jim Nill to re-sign John Klingberg. And does he create, you know, if, if it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's, it reminds me of the Pavelski deal, right? If Suter terms, it turns into a pumpkin in year one or year two, this is probably a big swing and a miss by the Dallas stars. And it's going to hurt the team. If he waits until year three or, or heaven forbid gets all the way through the contract, it's a home run because by year three and by year four, like I, this team's going to be able to handle that cap hit. Right. They really just have to get they they have to get resolution on John Klingberg. And, you know, if if they get him signed, like it, it's not going to be again, it's not going it, to as 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 many reasons as there are to not give four years to a declining 30, plus, you know, 35 plus year old defenseman. And there are plenty of them. Dallas did this in a way that doesn't necessarily guarantee it's a mistake, even if Suter can't live up to the deal. There, I guess my my point is that they are they are more insulated from the consequences of this deal than the takes might suggest. It's yeah. not it's not nine million dollars for Seth Jones for eight years. 
right. Like it's it's not a this is not a boomer bust deal. It it could get nasty if you know if if we get to you know the end of training camp and we find it. Oh gosh, he's you know Suter whatever he had is gone. You know he it's it's gone. Then yeah, they've they've got a problem on their hands. And, and honestly, if it happens next year, they've probably got a problem on their hands because then they've got three years of 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 this this millstone. And you know then they're really starting to to burn those valuable Haskin in years. But if 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 Ryan Suter can can be a top six NHL contributor throughout the lifespan of his deal, then it's probably okay. Yep, and I mean even he's used to taking on pretty heavy minutes. He plays uh, he plays special teams, so I mean the, he checks a lot of real good boxes. Yeah, and maybe if he doesn't, you know, if he struggles or is kind of starting on that decline, but you know, I mean, maybe he does say, hey, maybe a change of scenery would be nice, or you know, Dallas's window, you know closes in air quotes and he's like oh well this other team you know that's on the rise is wanting me you know i'm happy to take a trade there i mean there are as dire of a contract as it is from a simply like no no move clause you know 35 plus you know there are ways to try and as you mentioned earlier Wes, to try and convince him to uh get to waive that for the purposes of trade if at the end of the day yeah, it's it's weird. It's it's my initial reaction when I saw this was fish shaking and oh my gosh, and this is terrible and you know, all of that, all of the stuff that you would expect, right? But the more that the take the more that it has settled in, like it's not a home run. I, I think you guys are right that that a you know Savard Larson there there are probably options that have less in the way of risk and just as much, if not more, in the way of upside, but Again, it's not this this one. I'm I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on the, you know, what is Jim Neal thinking? This is indefensible and terrible train on the Ryan Suter deal. I I don't think it's again. I think it's it's B, right? I, I don't think it's. I think it's better than the Holtby deal in a lot of ways. I think it's B. It's, it could it could make him. It could work out, right? If if he has a Pavelski, if if it's a Pavelski year one deal, then we're we're all probably shaking our heads. If it's a Pavelski year two deal, then it's it's high fives and slaps on the back. It sets us up with the potential of making a good run for next year if things work out uh, the the way that cross our fingers we want them to, and and I think that's the focus for the year. So it it fits the bill, and so now let's get it done. Yeah, and given the low bar for free agency deals in general, um, I think it's par for the course. You know, it's am I not? I'm not exactly thrilled about it, but you know, there are uh, worse moves that the stars uh, could have made today. See, one of which, one of which they actually did. <laughs> Everything's gonna be fine, and nothing says fine. More like just the icing on the cake. You know, the, the chef's kiss move, Dallas also added Luke Glendening to the forward core, which really fills the last remaining hole on what is a, an assumptive championship roster, true or false? <laughs> well, we can probably finally be beat Detroit now that all the guys who always score a whole bunch of goals against us are gone. Yeah, right. That's if you can't beat them acquire them one at a time no yeah and we, we saved we saved the forwards for last because dallas really truly did nothing to to really address their glaring needs inside the top six this is still a group based on the decisions today right it seems like the idea is 
you hope for a rebound from Radulov. You hope for a rebound. For, basically, you're looking at Radulov and Tyler Sagan as free agent acquisitions compared to last season. Um, you, you hope that Heinz, hence with better health, right, gives you a full year at, at the impact. Robertson continues to improve. You know, Gurionov gets less streaky, right? So I think that the philosophy that I'm intuiting from the stars action is they've they've got the pieces they need to make the bottom six go and they're hoping they can find enough in the way of health and natural improvements to make the top six go and that that seems to be the philosophy you know mills nils made some some alluding comments to maybe doing more on the forward court but i just i i think that they're gonna see and i think that they're gonna hope that the forward group rebounds kind of naturally which may not be insane What what do you guys think yeah, no, I, I agree, because I think it's, to me, it's like, all right, looking at the forwards, they lost Dickinson, and uh, they lost Cagliano, and to me, this feels very much like a, you know, we're going to get a guy to fill that void, to fill one of those voids, and the other one, we're just kind of, kind of, leave it open, maybe for an Adam Masherin or someone to, you know, rise up to the occasion and take that spot. I mean, given the money that they would have had to put forward to, um, you know, to get Suter, to solidify their defense, as well as um, the choice they took with um, the goalie uncertainty of being a Hopi. You know, there just wasn't, um, you know, the, really the money at the end of the day, especially at the going rates that people like Blake Coleman or even the ones a tier below. Yeah, Coleman got almost at. $5 million. And yeah, it's like, that. Even, <laughs> even at the tier below, it's like there wasn't really a, a way to truly make your splash for your bottom six or for your checking line at, without at the, without being the expense of solidifying your defense. And so uh, given the star's identity and given that they have some pretty um, effective top six options, you know, I think they kind of made the better choice of, you know, let's focus on our defense. Let's focus on our identity and, you know, trust that we'll be able to kind of put the patchwork to round up these forwards. I think that, or at the very least, the mentality is let's at least get, you know, if you're Dallas Stars management, you're thinking, let's at least get this team back on the ice when we're actually going to have a training camp and, and a functional, you know, energy grid. And let's, let's at least see what this team looks like with Tyler Sagan in the lineup full-time, with Alexander Radulov in the lineup full-time, with Jason Robertson from the start of the season, with, you know, a, fun, a fully functional, you know, Ruby Hintz, right? I think the, the mentality is let's not, it, it makes sense to not rush to add a piece into that mix before you start to get a sense of like, you know, you're, you're, we were kind of assuming that feels pretty safe, but like, in the back of your head, you're kind of thinking, you know what, we're going to get Ben Bishop's cap hit back in LTIR funds, and there are going to be candidates, there are going to be, you know, free agents, there are going to be options later. So let's like, let's find out how much the core muscle is bothering Alex to start the season, right? Or let's see, you know, Sagan scored a goal in his little cameo at the end of the season, right? Let's see how far his hip is back now that he's had basically a year off, right? I think it makes a lot of sense to wait because if those players come back healthy and impactful, then all of a sudden, like, and, you know, we're poo-pooing aging curves, right? But if you, if you even get like 
in a world in which those guys come back and you've got kind of load managed Jamie Ben in the mix as well, you've got, you know, Guryanov, Heinz Robertson, Pavelski, Radulov, Ben, Sagan, you know, Robertson. Like that's not that's not a necessarily t- I'll say this. That is a group that you want to see in action before you make a move, right? You want to know how much trouble you're in. Okay, do I get to bring up the elephant in the room? Do it. I mean, the, the thing we have to get through, and, and we won't know this until the season starts, is that there's going to be a, a large voice that says that Luke Lindenning is Andrew Cogliano uh, reborn. We're going to bring back, back the, uh, the FCG line now. Uh, <laughs> I, I heard some interesting acronyms there that, uh, that I won't go to, but uh, that's the worry. And, and they say, this is just a reinvention of what we know didn't work before. Yeah. And until I see something different, then we're still living in the past. Well, you get into like, you get into all of a sudden you're, you're touching on the Rick bonus problem, right? Which is when, when I, what was it at one point it was either Cogliano or Como was leading the team in ice time. Yep. And yeah, but to me, that's not a, that, that, that problem isn't something that you're going to address one way or the other in free agency. That is a coaching problem. Well, it is, but it, it, it with, with, uh, with only Como and Faxa around, you, you only had two of the three and now, now we have our third. So you have a line reunited and I'm not convinced that that's the way it's going to work out. Uh, I, I actually think that they brought Glenn Denning in because they thought one of the things that really stunk with the penalty kill this year was that they, you know, they, they lost too many defensive yep. zone faceoffs and, and he's going to be there. You know, he and Faxer are going to be the two guys on the, on the PK and they both can win a lot of penalty uh, uh, faceoffs and we're going to be able to clear the puck. And so, uh, voila, we have a improved penalty kill. Glendening is one of those, like, you have one job guys. Yeah, and, and you know, he's he's used to a fourth-line role. As long as we aren't looking at uh, at moving up to a third-line FCC position, um, you know, if, if, you, if you put him with, uh, with some energy guys, you know, I, I think he could be decent with somebody like Kamano. Um, yep. And and to tell you the truth, we're going to have this major traffic going uh, going up and down the freeway between Cedar Park and uh, and Dallas with uh, with a bunch of guys who are AHL NHL the borderline guys, and they're going to run with uh, with whoever uh, is hot at that moment. And Glenn Denning is going to be in the center for those guys. Yeah, I mean, I think he brings in some nice stability at a, at a low cost. I mean, it's not, he's not going to be, you know, some all-star <laughs> missing uh, piece for the uh, Stanley cup puzzle, you know, but there will be benefits to having him there. And, you know, in, in case there's an injury and he has to move up to the third line or something like that, you know, that options there, it, it kind of just boils down to how he ends up getting used, but yeah, I'm optimistic in that hey. regard, at least. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, I like I like where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love the fact that we have a bunch of guys coming back who are who who still have some skill and have had a lot of time to rest. Yeah. And and I think that is what we hang our hats on, and we try and avoid the injury bug. And oh if we can do that, there this team can actually 
do some things. I think they've they've certainly, you know, and we we won't rehash it. We're we're wrapping up. Um, we we've talked quite a bit about everything going on. I, again, I think that you can certainly argue. You, they didn't. Nil didn't do a single thing today that is, you know, unassailable, right? You can look at every deal he made and find very obvious potential problems in pitfalls, right? He didn't do anything perfect, but as we've illustrated, even the worst deal he made today, you can tilt your head and see a certain sense behind it. And the other thing is, he has still managed to avoid whether whether anything he even if everything he did today was a bad idea. Even if even if on the ice nothing helps, Jim Nill has has still once again managed to avoid putting himself in a position where the Dallas Stars salary cap is ruined. I mean, and and that that may be damning him with faint praise because at the end of the day, his job is to to put a a championship caliber team on the ice, not to put a championship caliber uh, salary cap into cap friendly, right? So so that's I'm not I'm not saying that that that's an acceptable you know, positive outcome if that's all we get out of this. But, you know, let's let's the one the one bit of kind of doom saying that I'm gonna push back really hard on and this will be and I'll let you guys hit your own closing thoughts as well. I don't wanna monopolize it. But the you know the thing that I will say is there is upside in everything he did today. And there is there is nothing he did today that in and of itself, you know, nothing he did today is going to cost the stars John Klingberg, right? Nothing he did today is going to cost the stars, you know, Heinz when they need to extend them or Gurionov, right? Nothing he did today is going to break the underlying structure of this team. Um, the risk, of course, is that it's not going to work on the ice and we're going to wind up watching the Dallas Stars be in that squishy middle where they're just not quite, you know, not quite good enough, not quite bad enough, just kind of are where they are, Um but there's also a world in which everything works out great and all of a sudden you've reduced the cost in your crease and you've added a top four piece and the defense looks stellar for a season and everything works out wonderfully. So the, the options are somewhere between catastrophe and, and success. Um, and then we'll, we'll go to you, Mark, just in you know, closing thoughts, summation of the day. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I will throw my one hot take out here for, the, uh, for, for a prediction. Um, given where we're at, I think that uh, at the trade deadline, Anaheim's going to be the worst team in the league, and we are going to pick up Ryan Getzlaff at the Ooh. trade deadline uh, for for a big playoff push. Oh man, I just I'm still recovering from from laparoscopic surgery. I can't be taking takes that spicy. It's not good for me. <laughs> Doctor's orders. <laughs> Yeah. So I'll leave I almost it with got that. that, Tyler. How are you possibly going to follow that? No, I, I really can't. I'll just say I, I agree that this definitely feels like, a, you know, you're putting all the chips in the table. And when that, I don't expect Bishop to be back. So you're just banking on that LTIR space. That's all going towards some trade deadline acquisition, probably with the forward core. And whether it's Getzlov or someone else, I think that. In the, this is year. I mean, Nil doesn't like to trade first round picks. I mean, he's only traded one with the conditional, which didn't even uh, come to fruition in the Zuccarello trade. But uh, I think this is the year that Nil goes full on aggressive and truly um, gets to a position where he does like where the team is at. 
I mean, he does. We'll see about the rest of us. And I think it'll either be, you know, they're either looking at it as an ITR chip or as we've seen elsewhere, it wouldn't shock me if Ben, if Ben Bishop truly knows that he's not playing again based on his willing to waive for the expansion draft. He, he seems like a, a good dude and a phenomenal hang. If he knows he's not coming back as an NHL player, it wouldn't shock me if he waves the, the trade clause to let Dallas basically launder his cap it to somebody else for space, right? We've, we've seen other teams move, you know, LTIR contracts and, and reap assets in return. It, it wouldn't stun me if the prognosis really is, Hey buddy, you're not, you're not going to be back. It wouldn't stun me if Ben Bishop is the type of, of player and the type of individual that would shrug and say, Hey, if I'm not going to play, trade me wherever you want to trade me and let's get, let's get some help for the team. Crazier things have happened, but it's been a good one long enough mid-season form just it felt good we're you know we're just gonna have to wait and see how all this stuff works out on the ice you know, there, there's a world in which we all look like geniuses there's a world in which we all look like idiots um and that's that's pretty much a daily thing but thank you guys for your time thank you for your insights kt thank you for mixing it all together and and just one more time i just i like where we're at uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's make sure we get that explicit rating okay there we go that's that's the catchphrase of the season i like where we're at that's where we're, that's the gimmick